it's the Time to Wind Down podcast. I am your host, Jeff Hall. This is Season 2, Episode 3. This is a continuation from my interview with jazz musician and singer Brian Swartz of the Brian Swartz Quartet. I felt that this conversation was way too good to just leave as one episode. So I split it up into two parts, and what you're about to listen to is the continuation of that first conversation in episode one. So without further ado, here is that conversation. So, go to college, play, playing trumpet, and then you decide... I'm going to see if I can start playing professionally. How's that? How did that transpire? Like what, it was, what? it was really interesting because I had come to Los Angeles to, you know, to, to go to Cal state Northridge. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, after I had done a couple of years of junior college in the Bay area, when I got to Northridge, I, you know, like I said, I was having technical problems and, but I wanted to be what we would call a lead trumpet player. The guy that plays the high notes, you know, and then when I got to Northridge, there were like a ton of, I mean, a ton, maybe five guys that were just like doing it really well as college students, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, there, I'm not, I'm not going to get, I'm not, but I'm also, I was also really lucky to be like, there was a really fantastic lead trumpet player in the, in the A band that year named um, John Shudoba, who has gone on to do very well, but um and playing double C's for John Shudoba was just like walking, you know, down the street. It, it just seemed like now I, that's assuming a lot. I know he worked very hard at it, but, but, um, so like, um, hearing, uh, hearing these players that are doing this, like with so, so much less effort than I was even, you know, than I was doing, I said, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can focus on my jazz playing a little more right now. And, yeah. you know, something that I can, relate to so i did start really very consciously working on jazz playing in school and then also just hanging out at all of the jam sessions around los angeles which at the time you know we're talking about the late 80s you know early 90s um there were actually several going on every week you know um there were at least you know probably three or four that you could just rotate to day you know almost daily and uh, so I was doing that. I was learning the jazz repertoire. I was um, listening to a lot of music, going to see as many people as I could listen to, famous players, as many as I could afford. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because sometimes going to listen to them means you're standing outside the front door yep. of the club and trying to just get a little bit. Or if you if you get to where you know the bartender, maybe he'll let you sit at the, in the back, you know something like that. Yeah, so and and um you know there were still uh, at that time in LA there were a lot of the a lot of the original great west coast LA players were still around. Um so I was I was able to hear many many um you know that 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 actually bridged a lot of went over a lot of styles, you know, like from Teddy Edwards who would be kind of like a considered maybe more of a conservative like bebop player blues based bebop player fantastic you know tenor sax player and then 
but then also like Horace Tapscott, who was just like a, a you know amazing avant-garde piano player and composer, and, and but also you know just running into you know going down to the lighthouse and hanging out at the lighthouse, which is a famous venue um, that had been there since the fifties, and hearing players that had been going there since the 50s and uh you know so and just learning the repertoire learning you know meeting people learning the repertoire making decisions about what you like and you don't like and what you want to play and you don't want to play what what type of players you like playing with you know under you know going again meeting meeting your heroes if you can you know like i met freddie hubbard at chadney's in burbank chadney's was a was a a restaurant that was right across the street from nbc studios where johnny carson you know would and Jay Leno would was do they, where they would do the Tonight Show, and so all of the musicians would go hang out at Chadney's afterwards, uh, after the show. So and every you know there was a jam session there every week that was led by Earl Palmer, who was one of the great the wreck, one of the Wrecking Crew drummers, yeah. you know one of the most recorded drummers. So I'm meeting the people like Freddie Hubbard there. I'm I'm meeting. I met Harry Sweets Edison. At Chadney's, um, you know, George Gaffney was always there, who was uh, who was a tremendous piano player, and and so, um, you know, I'm meeting all of these musicians that have been around Los Angeles for a long time, and and getting you know like a sense of that history, just being around that, and 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 understanding what a reverence, yeah, you know, for the music is you know, from people that have experienced it firsthand. Right. So it's, it, it was a great time to be there. And, um, and then also discover, you know, the young musicians coming up and, you know, wanting to be part of that. I, I got a little sidetracked in life and yeah. dropped out of college and was doing a day job for a few years. And then, you know, in the mid nineties, I just kind of dove in and I went, okay, I'm now a musician, you know, this is it. And I suffered for a few years, yeah. not only because I was still having embouchure problems, but, you know, financially suffering just for, and actually for no good reason, just because I thought it was glamorous. You know, <laughs> I, I, if I were going to do any, if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would be like, Hey, keep, keep your job. It's fine. Right. <laughs> you can, you can work during the day and make money and, have your, you know, your apartment and, and you don't have to put yourself through all of these conundrums, you know, you can still be a happy person and, and learn how to do this. But again, I was, I was caught up in the, the glamour of, of the, the misnomer of the starving artist, you know, which is, I don't know how you feel about what, what I, you know, me swearing, but it's bullshit, you know, the starving artist is, yeah, it's, it's it's a myth. You don't have to be that. And uh, if yeah, I were going to tell if I were going to tell myself at that time anything, I would be like, "Hey, every little bit of money that you earn, just take a third and put it in your savings. Right. Take a third and keep it to pay your bills. To take the other third and spend it. Right. <laughs> you, you know, use you it. Think you would? Did you think because of because you were a you know? starving artist or whatever you would have found some sort of inspiration to kind of push you to be better as as a musician i never had any problem with that for some reason 
I was always very motivated, although I don't know how outwardly perceived that was. I know um, one of my college professors, I won't say because it's a, it's actually kind of a mean comment, even though it wasn't intended that way. One of my college professors told me a few years ago, one of the guys at Northridge told me, I thought for sure you were not going to do anything. You were going to quit. You were, you know, yeah. you just didn't, you didn't have it. Yeah. Um, now, what that means is I wasn't able to play yet. And I wasn't able to execute the way other people were right. um, able to because, you know, technical issues. Yeah. Um, but one thing that was not taken into account was my persistence, yeah. how yeah. persistent I was. Not only uh, persistent about overcoming my shortcomings, but persistent about wanting to perform, persistent about that I... I I was a musician, whether anybody else thought I was or not. I understood that. Um, persistent that I felt like I had something to share. Um, persistent in wanting to continually learn something about um, something about music, whether it's uh, arranging, composing, understanding music theory better understanding uh how to play the trumpet better understanding what what even practicing means you know and i and i've still i'm still learning all of those things yes. always they just you never know everything about music subject or about any subject for that matter you, well yeah that's true i mean yeah you, you just there's you know like there's always somebody else who knows something more about music than you do. Yes. And so it's a matter, but it's hard to pry it out of some people. It is. Um, <laughs> I've tried picking people's brains about things and I'm like, come on. It's, just, it's really weird. And the thing about it is it's not a guarded secret. No, <laughs> you not. know, some people just, and some people, it's just their personalities too. Just, yeah, that's for sure. And then some people think, well, no, if I let them know this, then, you know, someone will get one up over me. And then it's. Yeah, this is something I learned about going to hear bands and musicians play. I was just like, oh, because I, I always, not only, this was the great thing about jazz is not only can you go hear these people play, but you can meet them. Yeah. You know, you can go hear Britney Spears play, but you're probably not going to meet her. Probably not, but I can go see Teddy Edwards and have a great conversation with him. I can go see Brad Meldow, who's you know one of the premier pianists of our time, and and talk with him and hire him. You know, yeah. I yeah. can I can um, I can uh, and and any of you know go see Michael Brecker, who was one of my favorites. Um, and talk to him, his brother, Randy Brecker, talk to him, Tim Hagens, Tom Harrell, all of these trumpet players and, and, uh, musicians that, um, I admired. Yeah. You can, you, th th this is, this, you're part of this community. Yeah. You know? So, um, that's what I, and, and sometimes you don't even know that you are yet. I remember one time, uh, the great drummer, Ralph Penland told me, cause he was, judging um, people who were auditioning for the Monk Institute, which was a, 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 like a graduate program they were doing at USC. It's now called the Herbie Hancock Institute. Okay. But, um, and I said, Ralph, 
man, I wanted to be in that program. How come nobody told me about that? And he goes, Brian, you're one of the cats. What are you talking about? And I'm like, what What do you mean I'm one of the cats? He's like, you're a player. You don't have to go back and do, you know, you know all of that stuff. I'm like, some, so sometimes you don't even know. Yeah, you don't, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you don't know when, when you're accepted into the, right, into right. the tribe, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's just assumed like everybody else just, you know, knows it, but you don't. And then, cause nobody's like, there's not like a ceremony or anything. It's just, no, becomes, it's very, it's just about very like, unceremonious. Yes. It's like, uh, I think I'm one of them. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, or, 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 yeah, or, or yeah, you just hang out and you think you're annoying. Right. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely me. <laughs> like, I'm probably annoying. I'm going to probably go. Where are you going? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, and then, and then you start deciding, I'm going to make a contribution also. I'm going to, I'm going to start a band. I'm going to start composing. I want to start, you know, expressing my voice. I want to, I want to play with that guy. Like, like my uh, second album that I put out was a was a, a band with a great pianist. I was, I've just been listening to it recently again with um, Bob Florence, who was a, a a great pianist and and big band leader and com- and arranger and composer. And and just because I did a gig with his big band and I and I said, oh hey Bob, I I'd really love to just do a quartet with you. And he goes well, what kind of music do you want to play? I said, well, I'd like to play some standards that maybe the younger people that I play with don't know or, or don't want to play. And and he goes, like, what? I said, I want to play Stardust. Yeah. And he goes, oh, what key do you play that in? And I said, well, the, the original's in D flat, so we'd probably do that. And he goes, okay, I'll play. Just because I knew that, I think he yeah. accepted, you know, the invitation to right. do it. Almost like a test. <laughs> and, and, um, and now when I, and I, I got very stigmatized because after that album came out, I had one bad review that, that, um, made me not listen to that album for a long time, oh, wow. which is, and, and, um, so I've been recently listening to it again. I'm like, whoa, that was a lot of fun. That was so much fun because Bob just laid down such a wonderful, like, almost like. You know, when you when you do a painting, you don't start with a blank canvas to to actually paint your subject. You start with a background. So, like, there's like this. You might choose a. Let's see. Do I have one here? Well, like this this weird thing that I have behind me here looks like a bunch of freeways. And um, um, y- you know, you start just put you you put down some sort of base coat of what you know your your first color is going to be and and then from there you can start designing you know putting colors on top of it well that's what bob would do for me it's it's like he gave me a canvas that was prepped and ready to paint on you know and um and then and i and i was and i would just pollock all over these <laughs> you know uh all over these tunes playing with him so um, uh, I was getting out a lot of just like, oh, here's everything I can think of, you know, and he was fine with it. We would play some of the, like, there's a track on that album that's 15 minutes long, yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's fine.
kind of brings us up to the present, or at least as close to the present. You released your most recent album, the mm. one where we were talk, kind of talking earlier, where you you know decided to do vocals on and write your own music. Where where did you start with that? As far as like trying to like, okay, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write my own track, or I'm gonna write my own music to go with the actual trumpet and the actual you know instrument part where did you what did you i guess either refer to like it's like okay i'm gonna write i'm not sure what i'm gonna write let's let's see i'll put this on or i'll watch this or i'll look at this and then bam i'm now i've got it or something just or did something just kind of pop in your head and you started writing did that well how did that work for you the you know if you're gonna if you're gonna play the trumpet mm-hmm. and you're gonna sing and you're from Los Angeles or living in Los Angeles, you're gonna inevitably be compared to Chet Baker. Mm-hmm. So you are either gonna lean into that or you're gonna go the other way. You're gonna lean away from it. And I've I was able because that's that's basically where I started when I started this perch band this quartet that I was playing with at perch is I was like okay well let's start with Chad Baker and let's let's go let's see where I can where I develop from there and um I soon discovered that I don't sound anything like Chad Baker <laughs> <laughs> I I certainly don't play like Chad Baker play trumpet like Chad Baker and I write music and Chet really didn't write music. I mean, it's rumored that he didn't know much about music theory at all. And Mm -hmm. which I, I have a hard time believing, but I do absolutely believe that he had one of the best ears in, in, you know, like almost ever, because I've seen video where he's playing along with a piano player who'd just written an original arrangement and he's hearing things like, happening that are in a reharmonization that are just like how did how did he pick that up that quick it's and it's not that it was rehearsed it was just like he can he could hear that stuff so and it's not even just a matter of perfect pitch it's a matter of because you can have perfect pitch but not make good choices (laughs) so but so i so i started with chet and i'm like um all right, what what is it about my voice that I can start to showcase? And so I went, well, let me find what if what the lower part of my voice sounds. Let me see what the middle of my voice sounds. Let me see what the high part of my voice sounds like. And so over these years of playing with that quartet, I found I discovered all of those things and I found material that worked and then and if I didn't find it in a in a uh, you know, a jazz standard or, you know, like a show tune, which is where a lot, of, you know, uh, a lot of jazz standards come from the Broadway musicals. If I didn't find, okay, let me see if I can write a tune that does this for me. Or, um, and then, then I also discovered that writing lyrics is very difficult (laughs) and that it actually through most of my life, I didn't listen to lyrics. I, I thought I did, but I, but I was much more focused on the relationship between the melody and the bass and, and the harmony in between. Um, because, you know, for me, um, that when I'm composing, that's that's a really important thing. Like the the relationship between the melody and the bass, 
and that there's something interesting because those are two things that people can usually always hear, even though they may or may not be aware of it. Um, the rest of it is coloring and groove and, you know, different, um, different ways that we make, that we enhance those two things that are going on, that relationship between the melody and the bass. So that's pretty much, pretty much what I focus on for many, many years. And then I discovered that, oh, you can do that with lyrics also. You can, you can have that tension and release going on in, in lyrical phrases. And then I, so then when I started to discover different, how different lyricists did that, it, it became very fascinating. Okay. How can I play with that? And, and, um, so there, it's just a, you know, just a process of discovery. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and hopefully it evolves into something that turns into something that might mean something to somebody. Right. So, but it does, but it, uh, Ultimately, it has to mean something to the person creating it. I had I had a, a an engineer, Richard Barron, tell me one time because uh, we were mixing an album of mine, and I was like, ah, I don't know if I can stand listening to this anymore. Because sometimes you you don't like to listen to yourself. It's almost like hearing your own voice on a recording. You go, ah, I, don't, I, don't I sound like that. What? Ah. Yeah, I don't know what that sounds like. <laughs> and and um, and he goes, oh no, man, you got to dig you. If you don't dig you, nobody else will dig you. You know. So you have to get over that. Right. So same thing with creating music. It's you can create anything you want and it's fine. It, you know, it, of course the, it should have technical elements of composition and you know, understanding of music theory and you know, and if you're going to write lyrics, yes, it should be you know, of a certain level of writing, you know, mm-hmm. um, or if you're going to use different vernaculars, you know, fine. Okay. Stay within that vernacular or, you know, if you're going to mix it because, you know, for shock value or whatever, but, um, you still have to, you have to love it. You have to go, okay, this is something I can get behind. Um, and, and believe me, there's tons of stuff that I write that nobody hears because I can't get behind it. I, you know, right. I, you know, I wrote a song called Lemonade and I made a whole little video of it and I, and I, and then I ended up listening to it and going, this is not something that I want anybody else to hear. So, so realize I now want to hear it. You've no, you're not going to hear it. So, um, it's, it's really dumb, but, um, and it was very bitter, you know, like, uh, what, Hey, lemonade. lemonade. (laughs) but it, it was kind of politically motivated, like, uh, you know, it was, it it was it was some premise of like drink your own lemonade and stay on your side of the street you know like um and then and then and then i realized telling somebody to drink their own lemonade is rather crude <laughs> so um so that's dumb so there's things that just turn up you just go okay that's dumb just change it to bless your heart <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know that's thing possible yeah i that's another one that I just can't. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I know what you're telling me. I know what you're saying to me. <laughs> so um, there's, yeah. So uh, you got to remember, I'm newly, uh, I'm new to the South again. So you know, because we just recently moved to Austin, I'm, I'm just getting used to y'alls. And then I start realizing how many people actually say y'all, no matter where they live. And then you go, yeah, now I just can't say y'all at all. I just. But, uh, you know, for whatever reason. 
so now I'm trying to find another way to say y'all. How is everybody? You so, know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. So my dad's family is from Indiana. My brother, um, his wife lives in Erie, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of that North Midwest area. <laughs> um, and Ewan's is big up there. Okay. So y'all, Ewan, oh, Ewan. I, uh, yeah, not really you guys, which is kind of depending on what part of the Midwest you're from, you'll get you guys, uh, the South, um, Missouri is kind of weird in the fact that you'll get most people probably say y'all, um, uh, you also get people say you guys, hmm. uh, as you get kind of further North, it'll be Ewan's. Hmm. Ewan's. I, I'm not even, I'm not, I guess, you know, I haven't sp- hung out up there enough. Um, so I don't, I'm not, maybe that one. I don't know what else. I don't know Northeast cause I only visited up there. Briefly. But again, know. you know, I really learned to talk in Nebraska. So like yeah, I yeah. shouldn't have any accent at all, you know, but, um, and I don't know, but there's certain, there's certain things that people say in Nebraska too, that, you know, like what, what was it? My grandmother, well, of course she wasn't from Nebraska, but what I, yeah. she used to. Instead of cantaloupe, she used to say muskmelon. <laughs> Let's go get some muskmelon, and and I'm like, what is? I don't, what, what's a mus? I don't mus melon of mus. This because it's messy. Is yeah, it, yeah. I don't I don't know. So you know, um, uh, the, the, so there were t- you know, but I guess that's probably one that's more common than I think. Okay. <laughs> I think we covered that. I think we covered everything. Um... <laughs> Brian, thank you so much. Where can people find you on the socials? Where can they find your work? Hit up, hit us up. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, brianswartz.com is always there. Um, B-R-I-A-N-S-W-A-R-T-Z.com. Uh, I'm at, at Twitter. I'm at Brian Swartz on Facebook. I think it's Brian Swartz Trumpet is my, is my musician page. I mean, and then, on Instagram, it's Brian Swartz un, or no Brian underscore Swartz. Okay. Yeah, and you can find my album "To Be With You" on all of the digital platforms that you can think of. It's on Amazon, it's on Apple Music, iTunes, uh, Spotify, all of those uh, things like that. So um, you can download it, you can listen to it, you can check it out. Boom! And there we go. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us and uh, taking time to wind down with us. Yeah, Jeff, thank you. Thank you to Brian for joining us on Time to Wind Down. The music you're hearing right now is Jane's Domain from Brian's album To Be With You. The music you heard earlier is Molly and Burn, also from the album To Be With You. Thank you again for listening and enjoy the rest of the music. Thank you.